Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Young Guides podcast. This is Kyle coming at you solo for today's intro. Um, Keaton couldn't make it on tonight. I figured I'd just hop on, introduce this episode, and we're going to get right into the podcast. It's a little bit longer today. Keaton and I interviewed Jared Larson. Uh, He is a marketing manager at Onyx Maps, and he shares a little bit about his background, some of his uh, guide stories from guiding in Alaska, um, some of his hunting experiences, and um, how he likes to get away and find some little blue lines and fly fishing in Montana. He also talks a little bit about how uh, he uses Onyx Maps and some of the features uh, available with that software. Both Keaton and I use Onyx uh, for our own hunting and fishing and outdoor recreation. So uh, we kind of talk about that. Super fun podcast. It is a little bit longer. Um, I know you guys are going to like it. Some great stories to be told. Jared even talks a little bit about some of uh, his bear encounters. So um, kind of keeps you on your toes. Great podcast. Before we get into it, I do want to mention our partners, Heather's Choice. If you use the Young Guides 15 at checkout, you can get 15% off your purchase. And our partner at Lucky Bug Lures, again, use the promo code the Young Guides 15 at checkout and get 15% off your purchase at Lucky Bug Lures. So, without further ado, Let's hop right into today's episode with Jared Larson of Onyx Maps. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Young Guides podcast. Today we have on a special guest. We have on Jared Larson. He is a uh, marketing manager at Onyx Maps, and um, he's had some super cool adventures um, all over the place, hunting and fishing related. Uh, Super cool guy. We thought we'd have him on to kind of talk about um, himself. Um, what he does in the outdoor industry and uh, kind of where he got to where he's at today. So without further ado, welcome on the podcast, Jared. Hey, I appreciate it, Kyle and Keaton for having me on. Uh, looking forward to, to chatting today and uh, yeah, shoot, shooting the, shooting the bull about uh, guiding and hunting, fishing, all the good things that bring us outside and, and get us doing what we love to do. Awesome. Sure. Well, let's get rolling in it. Um, can you tell us about your background? Just about you? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I grew up in Wisconsin. Um, you know, my my whole family was into the outdoor scene. So I was introduced to it super early on. And then I uh, went to Iowa State uh, purely to get resident deer tags in college. Um, and I just chose a degree in marketing. So I was like, you know, that's, you know, something general. I didn't have any idea what I wanted to do. Um, and that actually panned out pretty well for me. Uh, now I'm a whitetail marketing manager at, at Onyx for lack of better term and work with all of our, our whitetail partners and, um, you know, coordinate the, the internal marketing communications, if you will, uh, there with our team. And, uh, that certainly doesn't limit me to only hunting whitetails. I, uh, I try to make it up to Alaska at least to fish or, potentially hunt once a year. And certainly I live in Missoula, Montana. So do a number, a number of weekends in the elk woods and chasing mule deer. Uh, But at the end of the day, if I only could hunt one thing, it'd probably be whitetails. Can you, can you kind of go back and tell us a little bit about like, when did you start hunting? Like 
um, about your lifestyle back home and how, how that was all about? Yeah. So, I mean, I, uh, grew up with a couple siblings, an older brother and an older sister. Um, and then my dad, mom and dad, uh, my dad, he drug us kids out, uh, pretty much as soon as we were able to, I mean, there's pictures of me, you know, in a backpack with him, you know, fully camoed up with his bow. Like he'd take me like deer hunting when I was, I don't know, like three or something, you know, young, younger than it made any sense. Um, you know, just to, to get me out there, did the same with, you know, my brother and sister, there's some hilarious pictures of us, like playing with, you know, deer hooves or a dead squirrel or, you know, whatever came home that day. Uh, and so just grew up in it, uh, did a lot of waterfowling and, uh, and whitetail hunting really primarily growing up and then turkey hunting in the spring. And then my, my old man and his brothers would travel West, you know, pretty much once a year, they'd go on a moose hunt in Canada or an elk hunt or a mule deer hunt or do something. Um, and always an archery hunt. And so I would kind of grew up just doing that. Uh, once I got into high school, started going out West with them and, um, getting my ass kicked by the mountains. Uh, I remember I missed a bull on my first elk hunt. It was like the last day, just a chip shot, like 30 yards, this little five by five comes screaming in. And I sailed that arrow, like a good six inches over his back. Like it wasn't even close. Um, but that that's all part of the fun is, yeah, I was able to, to grow up in a family that everyone went out there and did it. And it was, uh, you know, built lifetime bonds and, you know, we still go out and try to get together annually and, and, you know, at least see a bunch of my family on one core hunt. That's awesome. That's cool. Um, <clears throat> what about your, like your uh, fishing background? I know you do quite a bit of that. Were you doing that, uh, back home too? Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, I've really only talked about hunting up to this point, but I definitely spend a fair amount of time fishing. Uh, I I'd say in the last two years, it's maybe taken a little bit of a backseat, um, just because it's really hard to fish in the fall. I don't know about you guys. I mean, are you guys fall fishermen? Usually, well, now we're, you know, we're guiding, I'm guiding in the, like all last fall. I, I didn't really fish much in the fall. I was out rowing people. Doing it. Yeah. Fish, but and Kyle, I don't know about Kyle. Yeah. I mean, it's up here in September. It's kind of your last month. And so that's when you're trying to get clients out. And I actually got Giardia like the first week of September. So that kind of put me out for a whole week this year. So I made it kind of rough this fall. Yeah. Giardia. That's never fun. Um, but yeah, so anyhow, I, I had just spent too much time hunting to fish in the fall, but I would say, you know, late May, early June through August are pretty dedicated to, uh, to the mountain rivers. Uh, these last couple of years I've, I've really, there's so much water in Western Montana and Idaho, like so much water. Um, and I really don't enjoy, uh, fishing from a boat nearly as much as I do like hiking in and, and walking and wading. Um, and so that's really what I've done the last couple of years is just hoofing in, um, you know, anywhere from a mile or two miles, as far as uh, buddy and I did like 14 miles in on a particular river. Um, I, I actually got my parents to come out and we flew into the Frank church with a little, uh, little airplane and got dumped off on a tributary of, uh, of the North Fork of the salmon there. Um, so that's kind of been like my last couple of years and, and really like, I really love West Slope cuts. I mean, they're just always hungry and I, they're such beautiful fish. And uh, Alaska ruined me on the rainbows. 
Um, and so like, I, I still have a love for rainbows. Right. But like catching, catching them in Montana just feels, uh, I don't know, feels just wrong from, from spending a fair amount of time in Alaska. So I try to just pick out cuts and then, uh, where legal, cause it is not legal in Montana. Uh, but often I'll go to Idaho and search for some bull trout. Um, I just think, you know, I, again, from Alaska, I'm sure you guys have caught your fair share of dollies. Uh, and I don't know, those fish are just so rad. Um, and so that's kind of where my love for bull trout spawned. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of my, my fishing MO. Um, and I don't know if we can, if we want to get into some, some shitty guide stories now or later, you guys tell me what. I got a question for you. You you talked about um, you're from Wisconsin, right? Do you do much ice fishing or anything back home? I just I have to ask. I, I, it's just like it's you hear Wisconsin people and they're like, oh, we're out on the ice today. huh? You know, yeah, ice fishing, man. So I definitely grew up like, you know, hucking Rapalas at large mouths. Right. Like and I, I still enjoy that shit, but like it's not nearly as enjoyable as the the Western United States vibe of fishing, in my opinion, but ice fishing, I, I hate ice fishing personally. Like I would do it for the camaraderie or if no. like there's a crew like, Hey, let's go ice fishing for the day. But no. if somebody was like, Hey, ice fishing trip three days, I'd be like, fuck no, not <laughs> like you can pay me to go do that. Uh, maybe in a younger day where I didn't get so hung over after drinking, like, you know, a dozen beers. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not really for me. Have you guys ice fished? No, I, I haven't really had a lot of interest in it just because it's like getting in all this warm gear and you're using these little rods and you're just like jigging in a, you know, a small hole that big in the ice. Just there's something about it that I'm like, eh, I'll let you guys do it more fish. Yeah. For you. Yeah. I haven't, I did it back home a long time ago in Washington and I, I haven't really done it since. I know there's a lot of stuff up here and we're kind of, just get into like the good ice so i'm gonna trying to find somebody to take me out because i don't know what i'm doing i want i want somebody to take me out kind of show me the ropes tell me what i need to get what i need to do so ice fishing gets so high tech man i mean like but those you know those fish locators fishing without one of those things on the ice just seems foolish unless you like, you know, really know that particular lake or what have you. But mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, the, the guys that I work with, there's a few guys at the office that love to do it. I, really everyone in my family loves ice fishing. I was just yeah. like, you guys are nuts. Like <laughs> go, go have at it. I'll sit on the couch and watch if that's what the, my options are. Um, <laughs> but there, I definitely know some guys over by like Valdez that could, that catch some giant lake trout through the mm -hmm. ice. Yeah. Um, and I actually, there's a pond not too far from home here. They put uh, just brood stock trout in this pond. And there was a year where I went ice fishing a couple times. Um, and I caught like a 29 inch rainbow trout out of this pond. Or maybe it was 28. I don't know. Freaking huge. I mean, it was just like a brood stock, gross, ugly fish. But it was a pretty awesome fight on a little, you know, two foot rod. Um, but that's the last time I've been ice fishing. Nice. That's, that's a big fish. That'd be sweet. I don't want it to seem like we're like completely dissing. Cause I think ice fishing is its own like art and skill. And I think the people that really do it, it's just like any, any type of fish, right? Like you're, you got to figure it out. You got to know what you to need and what to do and all that. So we're not, we're not going hammering on ice fishing yeah. right now. We're just saying it's not for us, you know, I just yeah. put that out there. 
I'll I'll take credit for hammering on ice fishing. <laughs> I, I respect what you guys are doing, and uh, you yeah. know, stay out there and stay off yeah. the ski mountain and wherever else I might be. Uh, yeah. But no, I, ice fishing. I mean, it, it's hard to beat a meal of crappies if you uh, you know yeah. pull pull a limited panfish out of a hole. That's good eating. Well, the thing like up here, you know, in uh, Washington, our crappie are only like a couple inches long from the ones that I've caught here, so. It's like you you take a knife to that. You got about a fillet that's like three inches long. I haven't found oh, the crappie fishing yet. out there, huh? Yeah, not very good. It's crappy huh. crappie. <laughs> nice, nice pun there. I, I caught that guy. Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah. There's surprisingly some good warm water fishing out in out in Washington. Like we got there was walleyes and like big like an average size walleye out here is like. 14 to 18 inches and we get really? yeah we get walleye over 20 i think my biggest walleye was like 20 20 like 24 or something like that like and that's nine and a half a pounds. Very solid walleye yeah mostly i like the western part of the state or are you in like central uh back home that was in like mostly in eastern washington so eastern like, okay yeah, the columbia river a lot of those reservoirs like lake roosevelt yeah. uh Banks Lake, like a lot of those have pretty good walleye fisheries. And the Columbia, I think for bass and walleye in some spots, there's like no limits just because of all the, they eat all the salmon and stuff. So we've got pretty oh. good population. Interesting. Yeah, the Columbia is a daunting, daunting piece of water. I wouldn't even begin to know how to fish that thing. Yeah, it is. It is massive. It is huge. Yeah. Well, then you got, you know, you got guys on the Columbia that have figured out um walleye or pike minnows or even like i've heard of people having great days on like trout fishing you know they find spots along the cliffs or really or indicator fishing or throwing streamers or whatever they do but i'm the same with you like that's a lot of water to cover especially since it goes from like oregon all, all the way up to what is it canada goes through washington down yeah 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 it's yeah, it was actually, man, I should fact check myself before I say this, but I was just in, uh, in Revelstoke, British Columbia for Christmas doing some, some snowboarding mm -hmm. and the Columbia runs through Revelstoke. What? Now I'm going to, I'm using my other monitor to go fact check <laughs> myself. That's uh, our good old friend, Google. We started using it more. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, big river up in revelstoke which is you know a good five hours north of the the border there mm -hmm. and yeah i mean it's for sure the columbia i just pulled up a map and it yeah it definitely runs right through revelstoke yeah it starts yeah way way up in british columbia and runs all the way down yeah, so so many so many tribs and everything there's a lot of good tribs on the columbia that you can fish I mean, just the fact that the snake is considered a trip, right? Like that's also just another massive watershed. And the stick. Yeah. What's mind blowing to me is uh, how far like steelhead and stuff go up, you know, and all those, they got to go through all those dams and uh, all those, you know, they got a lot of challenges all the way into there. So it's just mind, mind blowing to me. We're so quick rewind back to canada last week we did this big loop we started in missoula drove up to revelstoke over to kamloops 
and then back down to Missoula. Yeah. Uh, and when we were driving from Kamloops to Missoula, like I was going like 35 snow covered road. It was negative 17. And, and, you know, just like the Canadian experience. And we drive over this little, you know, two lane bridge, I don't know, a Creek 20 feet wide. And there's like signs on both sides of it, like salmon habitat, da, 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 da. And it's just like, we're in this frozen, never, never land, nowhere near the ocean. And here's like this salmon habitat sign. And I was like, hell yeah, this place is unbelievable. Yeah. That's awesome. That's crazy. I can't imagine, you know, living out West here, you know, a hundred years ago when some of these salmon runs were Alaskan-esque, you know, like yeah. would have been so wild. Well, it's like, uh, like my grandfather, he would tell me the stories before they dammed up the Columbia. Like when he was a kid, he'd go across, he's like, or when we go over duck hunting, my uncle would show me, he's like, yeah, there used to be a bridge and a road that would go down here. And when they, they put the dams on the Columbia, it washed the bridge out. And, but it's just like crazy to think about is like, you know, that wide Columbia was only, it was a lot smaller than it was, you know, today. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And flowing a lot heavier, even yeah. though she flows pretty heavy, even though she don't look like it. Yeah. And the, the stories of like salmon, they, you know, they would tell me like, oh, the salmon they would catch out are as tall as, you know, the king salmon are like as tall as you coming out of the, he's like, and that was just like a normal size fish in the Columbia. And no longer, you know, we just don't have that size and a lot of factors into it, but. Indeed. So do you do a lot of traveling this time of year to go snowboarding all over the place? Uh, you know, I try to travel as much as possible. I, I pretty much have three hobbies. I hunt, I snowboard and I fish. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, uh, that was kind of the big, the big out of the ordinary one for us was that Canada jaunt, but we'll make it over to, uh, like Jackson hole, um, and, and Targi, which is only like a six hour drive from here. Um, we'll, we'll do big sky, which is over in Montana. I, I live with my cousin here and her and I always just buy, uh, you know, some type of conglomerate pass that covers days at a bunch of different places. And we'll usually like sleep in her Subaru or, you know, we'll, we'll usually grind it out pretty hard to, to not spend too much money on a ski trip because they, they rack up quick. You know, we're eating, we're eating Turkey sandwiches in the parking lot and, you know, doing the gig, but it's uh, it's, it's pretty damn fun. I I love it. Heck yeah. I love how it's like, oh, it's just six hours away. I just, I love how people like Wyoming, Montana, like Alaska, like six hours, nothing. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Like even growing up in Wisconsin, like my perspective has changed greatly in the five years that I'm here. Like I'm driving, I'm driving an hour to go pretty much anywhere hunting or fishing. And, And like, I live in Missoula and I'm being picky. Like there's a shit pile of spots I could drive less than an hour but I'm going to see people. I'm going to be fishing bigger water than I like. And like, I don't know. I just, I have no problem driving two hours to fish two hours, one way to fish for two hours. Like uh, it just is what it is. Yeah. And gas, I don't even look at gas prices, just a sunk cost. Like I'm not going to sit at home and do nothing. Like I'm going to, I'm going to put gas in my truck. You got to get out. You got to enjoy it. You know, have you guys been to Canada? I have not personally. I have. It's been a been a while though. 
So their gas prices, dude, I was tripping the whole time. Like it would be, it would say like 146.6. So like 146.6 is how I read it. Right. Yeah. But it, <laughs> and it took us a little while and obviously some Google searching to figure it out, but they do it in liters, which mm-hmm. is obvious. Like I should have known that. I don't really know the exact liter to gallon conversion, but it was almost five bucks a gallon. It was like $4 and 60 some odd cents in one of the spots where we filled up. And so, and a lot of the gas stations make you like pre-buy the gas. So like you put your credit card in and then you choose like 75, 100 or $250. And I was like, $250, that's, that's an insane amount, but we're talking Canadian again. Right. So like multiple times I'd choose 75 and I'd get like three eighths of a tank. So I just have to like go multiple times. It was long story long. It was, uh, the gas prices in Canada are confusing. (laughs) I remember the first time I ever came to Alaska, I was 10, 2008, and my family and I actually drove from Washington in a motorhome through Canada, British Columbia, Yukon into Alaska. And that was the year where we had high gas prices too. And it was like, is it even worth driving a freaking motorhome that gets eight miles per gallon through Canada with those gas prices? But yeah, that was, that's, that's awesome. I, the Canadian road trip is definitely on the list. And literally this morning, I was just like kind of scheming about either because I'm, I'm going to get up to Alaska again this summer uh, to do some fishing. Um, my sister lives in Juneau, so it makes it really easy for me to just like go crash. Um, but it, it costs about three grand to take the ferry from Bellingham to Juneau with a car. Mm-hmm. Um which you can, you can make that. And it's like 55 hours. So it's like, you're not saving a whole lot of time. I mean, obviously you can sleep the whole time, but the drive from Missoula is like 34 hours. And, you know, when you punch in old gas buddy to tell you the estimated cost, it was like 600 bucks worth of gas. So. It's it, you weigh out what, you know, you're, you're sitting on a boat with a bunch of people or you can just be driving and. Getting yeah. It. But some, you know, some of the roads that you're going to take up to into Alaska is going to be pretty gnarly. Yeah, probably not very good. Scenery yeah. would be amazing, though. Uh, oh, 100%. Yeah. I, and I mean, just I, I got to imagine there's a lot of water to be fished between there and here. Oh, yeah. yeah. You go, are you, uh, so when you head up to Alaska, do you cut up into Canada right away and cut over? Or do you come up through like Washington and into Oh, dude, this was just like a pipe dream this morning. Uh, honestly, like just <laughs> diddling around on the internet. Yeah. I was like, you know, I could just take a couple of weeks and drive up there and boat back or something, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. It might just be easier to fly up and then. Oh, for sure. It's just like, I want to do the Canada drive at some point. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, if you're going to do it, you're either going to just go for it or I'm going to be like 65 and decrepit and retired, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You never know. Life's short. You got to enjoy it. So, yeah, you just got to go for it and, uh, you know, go, go make some memories and experience some things while you can, for sure. Yeah. While you're fired up about it too. If you sit on it too long, it's always like, ah, nah, <laughs> at least that's how it is for me. Yeah. If, I, if I'm thinking about something, I got to kind of act on it. Otherwise it just kind of goes by the wayside. Go, go, you like, you're like, oh man, I need to, you know, I want to go fishing. It's like that day you need to go buy a plane ticket or something. So it makes you like go out there and do it. Get plans solidified, man. Yeah. 100%. So, 
let's uh let's loop back around let's get on to you you talked about you did a little guiding let's hear how it got you up did you say you did it in alaska yeah yeah so you know basically my my sophomore year of college i uh went up to alaska lived with my sister we lived on a sailboat um and i was basically just a fishing bum I, uh, I was a barista at a coffee shop basically to get me by, uh, to buy flies and like help, you know, buy food and things. Um, and I just fell in love with Alaska. I guess that was probably 2015. And then, uh, that next year I was like, you know what? I just want to go see the bush. My dad always talked about Bristol Bay, um, but like he never went there and, um, you, you know, you look at these prices to go fish at a lodge or, you know, you start figuring out what it would take to go do it yourself, you know, having never been there and not really knowing anybody who'd been there. It all is just like, man, it's either going to be really expensive, uh, a real crap shoot, or I could just like, you know, go try to get paid and go see what it's about. And so that's kind of what I did. Um, I just like started doing a pile of research on, like, all right, where are the places that I think would be sweet to check out, find some lodges. And I don't remember how many inquiries I sent. I would literally just go into like their info ad email, whatever contact they had. And I'd like drummed up a little cover letter and, um, and just started sending them out left and right. And, you know, I heard back from a few places and most of it was going to be like camp hand duties, right? Because like, I didn't have any guiding experience. We were out there and they are just going to be looking for somebody to pull some of the grunt work. Um, and then there's one particular lodge, uh, Alagnac Lodge on the Alagnac River. Um, they got back to me and they're like, hey, yeah, like we have a camp hand spot open. And like, if you are down to get your guide license, like we'll, we'll help you get that. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there'll be opportunities where, you know, you can give another guy a day off or whatever and go fish. And so did that, did the whole thing, got up there. And I was like, I don't know, I got up there in really early June. Like it was before fishing season was open. Uh, cause I remember fishing the opener. Um, and it, it was just three of us at this lodge and it was, it was an unbelievable experience and more guys started coming in by the time we were full capacity, uh, like at the end of June, I think there was eight or nine guides, you know, we had, a um, a house gal, we had a cook and then, you know, like our lodge manager. And I think our max capacity was like 20 guests or something. It was not a fancy place though. Um, you know, we were staying in little dorm room, cardboard shacks. We had a couple of like, uh, you know, the guides all ate in tents outside. And then like the main lodge was a, a, a decent enough place, but it was not like your five star, you know, eight grand a day lodge. It was like your four grand a day, you know, we'll take you fishing, but your accommodations aren't going to be, you know, these beautiful log cabins on the riverbank. Um, but it was a sweet camp. I mean, a great set of dudes, but there was basically, I did camp hand duties for the most of the first like two weeks. And then exactly what happened to you, Kyle, uh, some dude got Giardia, um, and then he ended up getting all fucked up and, you know, they flew him back to like King Salmon and long story long, he ended up going back to Louisiana. Um, 
So then basically I just got plugged in as a guide for that was like right around 4th of July. Um, and then I went back to school, you know, late August. So for the better part of a month and a half, um, but I had one group. I mean, if we want to just get into some stories, I, there was, uh, oh, this was a tough day. This was before clients arrived, something with the sewer system, which, you know, we're in the bush. So you yeah. use sewer system at, you know, whatever your own imagination brings you to. I couldn't tell you about it because I don't know anything, but we had to hand scoop human oh. shit out of a hole with a coffee can Whoa. for about six hours in order to like lower it. We were like coffee can into five gallon pail, take pail out into the, you know, alders 50 yards uh, for six hours. That was pretty tough. Um, I mean, it was just like, I didn't smoke cigarettes. Everybody else in camp definitely did. And I definitely just like had a cigarette in my mouth that whole day, just, you know, like burning it for the smell. So you just weren't, you know, basking in human feces that you were scooping out of this hole. So that was a pretty terrible day. Uh, we all lit every piece of clothing that we were wearing in a ceremonial fire at the end of that day. Uh, so that, that was a tough one. So take, keep notes of these. If you're listening to this, wanting to be a guide, uh, uh, and another, another pretty good one was I had, uh, we had this group from Argentina come in. All right. And, um, I got two dudes that didn't speak a lick of English. Um, and you know, I was your pretty quintessential, like shitty Alaska fishing guide, like some college kid that, yeah, he loves to fish. He'll bring you to the holes. Is he like a great fisherman? Absolutely not. Is he like a great guide? Absolutely not. Um, but most of my clients like had a pretty good time in my boat. Uh, you know, it's Alaska. It's like hard not to catch fish. Um, at least at certain times, don't get me wrong. We definitely had some days where it was like, holy shit. I don't know what to tell you guys. Like, sorry. Um, <laughs> But they were there to catch chums, which the Alagnac River is like known for its chum fishery. Mm -hmm. um, and these two guys just they couldn't cast more than about 10 feet. I had zero ability to communicate with them. Um, and I think we went an entire day without catching a fish. And everybody else at camp was like hooting and hollering about these fish they caught. People were like breaking rods. And my two dudes were just like, we have this idiot. Like he can't even get us to catch a fish. Uh, and eventually like I finally got the language barrier figured out and, and they really had a problem with like me demonstrating how to cast. Um, they, they wanted to like do it all themselves. And it was just like, man, I can't even talk you through how to do anything. Cause we don't, they didn't speak any English, no Spanish here. Um, but like, that was definitely the most frustrating couple days of the summer was just like a complete inability to get my clients to catch fish when all of their buddies were catching fish. And like, that's definitely the worst part, uh, for me of being a guide was like when you just fell short and you were incapable of like bridging the gap between your client's abilities and the needed abilities to like catch fish or harvest an animal like that really sucked as a guide. That's a challenge. Yeah. I'm sure you guys have uh, some similar stories of, of things along the same lines. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. It's definitely something that you're always working on. It's like, you never, there's always something else that pops up and there's like, how do I get this through this person's head? Like, this is what you need to do. It never stops. It's always ongoing. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. Like every person that you come across is going to be a little bit different, you know, the size capability, where they're from, what they've done, their back, you know, everything. There's so many factors that play into it. So just being able to like, in some ways you got to be able to teach yourself how to teach a bunch of different people, right? Like there's so many challenges that you face. People learn so differently. It's yeah. a respect I gain for, for teachers themselves because yeah, I, I mean, like, as I said, these guys, they want, they were, they were not into visual learning. They wanted to be instructed. And I was just like, man, I don't, I don't know how to do that in this situation. Yeah, that would be tough. But, but no, it was, it was super fun summer. I'd recommend anybody that like loves it. Like even just going and being a camp hand, I, honestly, being a camp hand was better than being a guide because like once your duties around the place were done, you know, changing filters. So people didn't get Giardia, you know, uh, burning garbage, um you know gassing up boats tinkering fixing the sauna and just doing like pitter patter shit but then like oftentimes lodge managers like yeah if you're done like grab 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 the lone boat down there go do whatever and so i'd be like okay rip down river and go swing for kings or you know do whatever way more often as a campaign than i ever did anyway as a guide yeah, for sure. And you're not like burned out at the end of the day from like, oh, shit, I've been on the river for eight hours. I go back. I want to just chill out. Right. Yeah. When you're guiding. But when you're when you're like a camp hand, you're just you can go do whatever when you're done. We had a friend, uh, Kylie, who was on the podcast. She was doing that at Togiak River Lodge. And nice. she, said she, she did that a lot more when she was uh, helping around at camp. And then when she was done, she'd go out and do the same thing. Yeah, no, there's no shame in being a camp ant. I mean, shit, maybe when I retire, that's what I'll go do again. I'll just be like this old grumpy ass camp ant. <laughs> there you go. So yeah. were you a uh, were you a fly guide or were you like a gear guide? Or we both? did some of both. Um, we we did like a lot of, you know, like uh, back trolling for for King's plug in. Um, yeah. But then we'd also have folks come in that, you know, they wanted to catch chums all day until their wrists felt broken, you know, on a, on a fly rod. Um, I would say it was honestly probably about a 50, 50 split. Yeah. Uh, the, the King fish in the year I was there was brutally hard. I mean, we hit some Kings, but it was, and like, I don't know, I'm sure you guys have also uh, battled the, the bloodthirsty client that just wants to bonk everything um which i mean shit it was really hard for me to bonk a legal limit of one king off that river like it was i don't know it sucked i hated killing them um but also i understand that that's what their primary reason for coming up was is like they wanted to go home with a box full of fish and some good memories um so like that was that was tough uh i lost my train of thought and where this question started really oh gear and fly uh, so really no fly fishing for Kings, really just gear. And then chums, it was not a pink year, unfortunately. Would have been cooler if it was. Um, <laughs> talk about an easy fish to catch. Dude, for sure. Um, chums was mainly fly. And then we had a pretty sweet silver run, which I really just got to see the, the beginning of having to leave in mid-August there. 
Um, but that was also primarily fly fishing. Uh, and those fish are so fun. Um, definitely a, a hoods up sunglasses on at all times kind of game. The amount of times I got whacked in the back of the head with dumbbell eyes was, uh, in, I don't know, so freaking many. Um, I also really enjoyed watching rods, fly rods break. Uh, maybe that was really wrong of me as a guide, but man, it was just hilarious to watch, like, especially with chums, you know, yeah. people would be on like their dozen chum in the last two hours and they'd be fishing their seven weight or whatever. And they would be really tired of this thing getting to 10 feet and then taking a 20 foot run. And you could just start to see them, you know, they'd really start to lean into it. They'd be putting a hand on the graphite and you'd be like, Hey man, I wouldn't put that hand like off the cork. Um, you know, and they just get tired of fighting the fish and then there goes their sage, you know, their $800 sage rod just exploded on day two. And then I like hand them this Reddington path and then they explode that one. So I went, good run, man. Yep. I know. I have- fish run from camp. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of, it's a cool experience to, to get to go do that and just be out there for that amount of time and, and just explore and learn more about Alaska that way. Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, again, like the only way that you could really do that unless you have a pile of money is, is you go work it and you go see it. Uh, it's pretty, pretty outstanding when your commute is just ripping a, a boat up river um, you know, your backyard, you walk 30 feet from your crappy little dorm room and you're looking at, just vast expanse of, of bush, tundra, aldery stuff with sweet rivers and giant rainbows and salmon everywhere. It's definitely an experience worth, uh, worth chasing. If, if you can handle, I think I was there for 70 some odd days or something like that. It was a long time by, by about 55, I definitely was counting down the days to get back to civilization. Um, but I think that's most people in that situation. For sure. You have any uh, good bear stories or anything like that? You know, I really don't have any great bear stories um, from guiding there. We did a couple flyouts. We didn't do many flyouts, um, but I was on one in particular that was super berry. But I, I just never had a problem with any of the bears up there. Do you have some good bear stories? I don't. I've only since I've been up here. I've only seen one bear, and that was from the plane. Oh, okay. I'm right. a bear, so yeah, 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 I haven't had any encounters yet. My my first summer in Alaska in 2015, when I was more of just a fishing bum, I did have to spray a brownie. Um, yeah, I I was just fishing in this remote little creek uh, that we'd boated to. Um, I was there with just a buddy. Uh, it was actually a creek that he could he could do some commercial harvest on, so he could like sane for some of these sockeyes. Um, but being a non-resident, like I just went there and I was just like fly fishing mm-hmm. and I went like way up this Creek and it, he definitely, he had a 12 gauge and I had like my bear spray. Like it was a pretty berry spot. Um, and I was returning from the top of the Creek and I had like a sockeye that I had caught. Uh, and then like my rod and my, my little pack. And I was kind of like climbing over this, this little, cliff embankment and i'd seen a number of bears throughout the day but they were doing their thing i was doing mine um and all of a sudden like i got 
around this rock that I had to like climb over and it happened so fast. I really don't know. I don't think he had like malicious intentions, but he was coming at me very quickly and he was at about six feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was just like, yeah, it happened so quick. It was just like bear spray. I actually had it in my hands miraculously, uh, but basically sprayed everywhere. Uh, he went charging back into, you know, the thick devil's club crap. Uh, and at this point I'm obviously like screaming. Um, and again, like it all happened so fast. I had no idea he was there. I really don't even know if he knew I was there. It was just like really tight quarters where we ran into each other. Um, but so at that point, like my buddy Jeff heard me and I started like tromping through the woods to get to him. And I, no sooner than I got to him and this bear comes like barreling out of the devil's club and like, I don't know. 15 feet into this Creek. And we're kind of like on this little Island of the Creek, you know, and he's just fucking pissed. Uh, and he's kind of like bluff charging us. And so at that point, like we're yelling, making a bunch of noise and he just like keeps bluff charging. And at this point he's, I don't know, six, seven yards. Um, and then my buddy, Jeff, he had a rubber slug as the first one. And he put a rubber slug right in that thing's ear hole. And it like, you know, made a big splash about in the river and like smacked at its, at its ear, went back into the, into the brush there. And at this point we're like packing up the little dinghy, like trying to get out of there. Um, I don't know, 30, 40 seconds after he shot that thing with the rubber slug, it comes charging back out into the Creek, like as we're loading up into the boat and getting out of there. Uh, so that was, that was a pretty interesting bear. Wow. Yeah. Oh man, that is crazy. Yeah, it, it, it was, that one was pretty crazy. Uh, I, I looking back on it though, like it's a fun story to tell and it's kind of a fond memory. Yeah. And again, like, I don't even, I'm not confident that bear ever had malicious intent. Like when I sprayed it at, you know, close quarters, I think maybe I just pissed him off to begin with. I, I don't know. Yeah. But like when you're that close to a grizzly, it's like, it's either, you know, it's like, even if he didn't have malicious intent, you just don't know. Cause you, you can't tell, but. And it was like a black, like, it was just like a pure reaction. Like I had like that bear was so close to me when I first saw it, like bear spray, as I said, like, thankfully it was already in my hands. Like I, I barely remember the moment, you know what I mean? Yeah. You just at that point, like adrenaline took over. Yeah. Yeah. It was, that was an interesting one. Bears. Uh, typically in Alaska, they don't give you a whole lot of problems, at least in my experience, but, uh, but definitely nothing to let your guard down around. Yeah. I've heard just like when they're, when the fish are running and they're fat and happy, they, they really don't want to bother you. Literally, you know, two hours before that encounter, there is, there was like a lone subadult male is what my buddy determined. You know, I, I didn't really know much about brown bears at the time, but that's no. what he claimed it to be. Um, but earlier that day in that same Creek, I was fishing. There was a sow and two cubs, like 20 yards upstream of me. And I was just like making casts, roping pink salmon. And they're just like, eating pink salmon at their free will, like hanging out totally kosher. And that's kind of been my experience. Uh, you know, 
I've had less than like 10 encounters with, with brown bears when I've been up in Alaska, but that's been my experience every time I have is like, they're doing their thing. You're doing your thing and you know, it'll be, it'll be good, but definitely, definitely not, uh, not a time to let your guard down though. Mm-hmm. So, um, we've been talking a lot about fishing and stuff. Let's kind of let's get back into, let's get to hunting. Like where has hunting taken you? Uh, would you say like, your job help you get into, you know, around explore around the United States or around the world or wherever you've gone. And then I know you're like, you mentioned you're really like whitetail hunting. So where's like your, you know, where's some of your favorite places you've been or like explored or like the culture of it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, Onyx definitely has propelled my ability to hunt more and more. Uh, there's no doubt about that. It's, it's definitely been a sweet gig, uh, fortunate to, to land here. But some of my favorite adventures, I mean, this past year, uh, my sister uh, and her husband and I had been planning a doll sheep hunt for about a good two and a half years before it came to fruition this past August. Um, And so we just, I mean, a complete DIY, we picked the zone, got flown in, um, got flown in, and then we had pack rafts. So we rafted about 10 miles down uh a big river shed and then hiked in a ways and i mean that was an unbelievable hunt i think we saw 25 sublegal rams um you know had a couple just super close calls uh you know found a dead ram carcass a couple days into our hunt so like somebody else in there had found a legal one uh but we didn't see any other hunters it was just a crazy experience uh, to be in there and just those mountains are so nuts where those things live is, is very unforgiving country. And then we pack rafted about 80 miles out of our hunt zone. So that was a trip in and of itself. Um, but that was definitely like my, my greatest hunt I've ever been on. And we came out like completely unsuccessful quote unquote, you know, if you base success on a punch tag, which I've come to find is not, not a good measure of success. Uh, you're not successful very often that way. Um, but that was kind of my big hunt this past year, but I also, uh, I hunt Wisconsin every year for whitetails. That's kind of my favorite spot is to, to return home. There's something nostalgic about it, Wisconsin and Iowa. Um, and then, I mean, elk hunting, like if you have a passion for, for hunting, you need to, to chase an elk. I mean, just to hear those things like bugling and screaming in September and, um that that's an unbelievably fun hunt and oftentimes the weather's decent that's the one thing about alaskan hunts is weather is just so tough like not only are the critters like gnarly and live in gnarly places and there's bears that might eat you but the weather the weather's just so unpredictable and um it it really makes you or breaks you i mean on that sheep hunt we had a number of days with just like you couldn't see more than 20 feet because we were just socked in, you know? And it's just like, you sit up there, you traveled all this way and you can't do shit because you can't see. Um, but yeah, elk hunting's definitely a sweet one. Uh, and something I'd certainly try to always spend at least, at least a full solid week of doing it's, it's something that I find hard to find success when you're just doing it for a weekend, which I think is the case for a lot of things. Um, 
But one of those critters where you need to figure out where they are, what they're doing there, and then, you know, make your move and get in on them. It really helps when they're vocal in September. Um, but m- more so than like just having a patient strategy, you know, if I'm whitetail hunting and I can hunt every weekend for the the month of November, I'm confident that I'm going to spend enough time there where I'm going to kill one. Whereas Elk's like, all right, I got to put in just a hell of a lot of effort for as long as I can in order to kill one. Um, but I don't know the hunting just is the beauty of it is it takes you so many places and there's so many different critters to, to go experience, to chase. Um, you know, white tails is more like people call it the lazy man's game. I'd call it the patient man's game. Um, cause yeah, I love sitting, sitting in a tree waiting on them, but you know, obviously chasing doll sheep and getting your ass absolutely kicked by your environment is, is something I really enjoy too. Something, something about type two fun. That's, uh, definitely intriguing. Yeah. That's cool. And I see a lot of, uh, beards behind you too. there on the wall. Yeah. I failed to mention Turkey season, which honestly is like maybe my favorite for pure enjoyment of the hunt. Like it's super low key. <laughs> the turkey comes in you miss like it's not like you're well i'm not beating myself up for days over it it's like ah shit i'll go find another one um but it's kind of like a small game of elk hunting like they gobble it's interactive Uh, the spring woods are hard to beat flowers are popping birds are singing sun sunny 10 a.m naps are really hard to beat um yeah i don't know there's nothing that you can put out there and i'd be like nah i don't want to go hunt that (laughs) big big strutting tom coming into your decoys that's super cool to see yeah do you guys do some of that out in washington there <laughs> yeah <laughs> well you got keaton keaton's tried right keaton i've tried i've uh i've been unsuccessful i get we get toms like strutting you know and they'll come in we had i had a hen like uh i went out one spring and i had a hen like probably like 40 yards from us and i was like Oh, sweet. The hens here, like she'll bring in a Tom or some more hens or something. And then we'll, we'll be partying here pretty soon. And the hen runs up. She looks at our decoy. She looks around. She's like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Down the hill. And I'm like, Oh fuck, man. And we're just sitting me. I mean, we had Tom's like we saw Tom's, uh, we're driving down the road and we saw Tom's on the side. You couldn't hunt. So we set up on the other side of the road and you could see, you could see him like, just right down you know down in this big clear cut and we're up on this and we started talking and he started strutting and we're like he's gonna come and then the hen flew in and we're like oh this is finally coming together and then tom the hen takes off the tom he just drops out of his strut and he runs off with his hands and my my uncle's like yeah he's he's not coming he's with his hands he's he's satisfied so but uh, it's on my to-do list i'm gonna kind of pick it up a little more you know, those were, and I don't, I don't know if there's like a big difference, but those we were hunting Rios. So oh, really? we have all three in Washington. We have uh, Rios, Easterns and Merriam's yeah. different parts. Oh, of the- okay. There is a little pocket of Rios, aren't there? I actually yeah. have heard about that previously. And then Eastern Washington is like mostly Easterns, isn't it? No. Uh, so in Eastern Washington, the Rios, I think are more like the Southeast portion, like down in the blue mountains. Yep. Yeah, Merriam is kind of in the central and the Easterns are actually on the west side of the state. Really? Yeah, they're actually in some of the little pockets in western Washington. Huh. Yeah, I have not hunted Washington um, for turkeys and I've hunted most of these, the, the western states near Montana, but I've heard it has some good bird bird populations. Yeah. 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 I've I've 
hunted turkeys and shot turkeys in like the northeastern portion, central Washington, down in the blues. They're 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 pretty fine. I think you can shoot three birds in the spring and like four in the fall or something like that. Yeah. Fall turkeys, man. It breaks my heart when people are shooting fall gobblers. Yeah. Meant to come in strutting and gobbling and uh shoot those hens in the fall. Exactly. I had I had permission on this uh property in central kind of like central Washington. And in the spring, he had a bunch of bearded hens, but I didn't want want to shoot a, it was legal, but I didn't want to shoot a hen in the spring. So I waited until I got drawn for a fall tag in that area. And I went down, like I'm shooting a bearded hen this fall. And I was, it was finally shoot a bearded hen. Heck yeah. Did you make a wing bone call or do anything with her? Uh, No, I, I mounted her fan and her beard, like an eight inch beard. It was really wispy. It was like as thick as a pencil, but it was pretty cool to shoot a bearded hen. Nice, man. You know, I I don't know enough about uh like turkey hunting and and stuff, but like this fall, I thought it was really interesting. I, I had a client and we're we're floating down the Yakima and I we hop out and he's streamer fishing and I look up on the hillside. It was like turkey gangland going on up on the hillside. Like you just see this one pod and it's like it's got a like one or two toms and a bunch of hens. This other pod comes in and then they like I, I had never seen it in fall, but they went like full strut on each other and they were just like straight on, like getting at each other, throwing cool. towels. And I was like, I've never seen this. You know, I didn't know this was, would happen in the fall, but like I said, I'm not like a biologist or anything, but I, I kind of wonder if there's like, you know, if there's like a later kind of something going on or I don't know, but it was pretty crazy to see turkeys are nutty man I, they, they get weird about uh about their flock and I, yeah i can't explain any yeah. reason why they'd be fighting in the fall because they certainly ain't laying eggs in the fall um but yeah they're crazy birds they're they're super fun to hunt and i would say if like you're just getting into the sport they're definitely one of the better better species to choose to to kind of enter into the the hunting world just because as I said, you don't need that much equipment. You know, you need like a shotgun and, you know, buy a turkey call and you're kind of in the game and uh, weather's typically decent. And you the bar, the bar isn't so high as going out trying to shoot a deer or an elk or yeah. you know, whatever it may be. And I think, I think when you're, you know, you're getting new hunters out there, um, it's not as like for someone that's never been in the culture of hunting, it's not as brutal to watch like, you know, I always tell people that are just getting into hunting, I'm like, you should go do like waterfowl hunting or like maybe go shoot a turkey because that's going to give you like just enough of that. Like, you know, it's you have to harvest something. So you're going to kill something. I think if you get people like on a big elk or something right away, that's a lot to absorb, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting point that, you know, just from being raised in it, like that, that aspect of it doesn't even really come to mind for me, but that's a super good point. Yeah. I, I started a little bit later in life. You know, I started when I was like eight, nine. Um, so, you know, the first thing I hunted was a deer. And when yeah. I first, I was like, holy shit, I just shot a deer, you know, and you, you got to gut it and you're looking at it. But like, once you kind of get past the point, like, okay, what I've done is I've done. And now I'm just, I'm here to, I got to do what I got to do. And it's going to provide me meat and everything. So. Totally. Yeah. Um, uh, one more thing about right, going back on Turkey. I think uh, um, like my clients, when I'm taking them down river, uh, when they see a Turkey fly, they're so surprised. Like, oh, really? Yeah. 
like a lot of people, you know, from think they're ground dwellers. Yeah. They think they like run. I'm like, no, they, they nest in trees. And like, even me, when I first saw it, I was like, is that, what is that giant bird flying around? And he's like, that's a Turkey. And they run up to the highest point and they jump and they soar, which is, is crazy. Yeah. No, they're definitely a, a big bird moving through the air. Yeah. I think so. The, the place that Keaton's talking about, um, I think you'd like this, Jared. It's like you're like floating through a canyon and there's like these really thick cottonwoods on both sides, like these big cottonwoods, some ponderosas they'll roost in. And this one flock that Keaton's talking about, there's like 12 toms and then there's like 30 hens and they live in like this like two mile area. And yeah. They're just always there and they're always a goblin in the spring. My other buddy and I have tried to hunt them before, but you can pretty much count on it. Like probably eight out of 10 trips, you float down the river. You're going to see those turkeys like right on the banks of the river. It's, yeah. it's pretty cool to see them in that spot. And then sometimes you'll look up and they're like on the, like the Canyon walls, just like way up on these cliffs, just eating bugs and snakes or whatever they can find up there in the sagebrush. It's, it's pretty crazy to like see really? you're going from the river like cottonwoods ponderosas and they're just in the sagebrush it's pretty cool to watch them that is super interesting western turkeys man they're they're wild like the the stuff that they'll as you said kind of just like why the hell are they on that cliff i don't know or they'll be like in this bluffy craggy stuff out here in eastern montana particularly it's like Mm -hmm. turkeys do not belong here but here they are exactly it's always nice when you get some uh, some wildlife on your uh, on your fishing floats too, especially on a slow day. That was a nice thing about Alaska. It's like, oh, there's a moose swimming across the river, you know, what have you. That always breaks up slow fishing decently. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, I did a, oh, I'll go ahead. Oh, I was going to say I did a little fishing in uh, in uh, Bozeman or well Ennis uh, this past fall and it was pretty cool to see like the Shire moose out in the, in the Madison. You saw some, you saw some Shiras, huh? Yeah. They're pretty cool. Yeah. They're super cool. Young bold is drinking from the water, standing out and you're like, wow, that's, it's a little, little smaller uh, piece of Alaska, like in the lower 48 kind of feeling, which is cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. I see you're wearing a grizzly hackle shirt. So that's, uh, that's gotta come from Missoula here. Oh Yeah stopped by and visited that's a cool shop well ha- half off your first dozen dries or uh or nymphs on on fridays that's cool i didn't know that yeah it's the real deal i don't ever support the nymph business but uh, <laughs> I, I buy plenty of dries yeah hell yeah everyone, everyone wants the dry eats yeah cool all right kyle what did you so, do yeah so i mean Earlier when we talked about you uh, guiding Alaska, kind of working at camp at the lodge, that was kind of outdoor industry, but kind of tell us how you kind of got to where you're at at OnX and how you first got into the industry and ended up uh, where you are now. Yeah. So when I first started at OnX, uh, right out of school, I actually had a gig uh, like lined up to go back to Alaska and guide again. Um, but then a job opening for on X, um, and more honestly, like I had met a girl then obviously like if you go to Alaska for the summer, like that just doesn't really work. Um, and so her and I moved out to Montana when I got a customer support job at on X, like I was just answering phones, um, 
And I, I was maybe like employee 60 something at that point at Onyx. So it was already like fairly, fairly established. Um, and thankfully, uh, and actually a part of the reason that they hired me, the founder of Onyx, he actually founded Onyx as a hunting guide in Eastern Montana. Um, he just like repeatedly was having issues figuring out where there's public versus private land. Cause there's not like much for fences out here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how he ended up developing on X and he actually would like handwrite a little welcome letter. And I remember like in mine, he said something about like, Hey, you know, stoked that you were a previous guide. Like, you know what it takes to serve clients, da, 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 da. Um, so that was like an interesting tidbit from having guided in Alaska and the transition to on X and then did customer support for just one fall. Um, thankfully, because, walking crotchety old men who don't know how to use a phone, let alone run an app. Uh, that, that was a lot to handle. Um, you know, spending 35 hours a week on the phone with people trying to tell them how to get to their Google play store, let alone how to turn a layer on or, you know, start a track or whatever it might've been inside the hunt app. Uh, and then moved into to my marketing role. Um, it really was just a, a case of being in the right time at the right place. Cause I mean, really after, after I was at Onyx about a year and a half, you know, we kind of exploded. I mean, now we, you know, have close to 300 employees um, and it's just, you know, so much larger scale than it was previously when I got there. But I would say getting into the outdoor industry, like being a guide is, is a great foot in the door. I mean, it's, it's a, a job that gives you some well-roundedness that not many other gigs can, can give you. I mean, you learn a lot about like, you know, putting the customer first. I mean, that's a big tenant at Onyx is like, we put the customer first, we build things and design things and make decisions with the end user in mind. Um, and I mean, that's what you're doing all day long as a guide. Like, even if it's a shitty day on the water and you can't get them to catch a fish, like you need to find other ways to, to ensure that their $400 doesn't feel like a complete flop. Um, and so, I mean, you just gain such a wide array of experiences being a guide or like even being like a camp cook or a packer or a camp hand, like we talked about, like those things are honestly great gigs to do in in college summers or high school summers or whenever you have the opportunity to, to do that early on. Uh, it also like gets you an idea of, of what you might not like about gigs because like the whole service aspect, like one-on-one as a guide, like I knew I was like, man, I do not like this. Like I, I always felt like an overwhelming amount of pressure on a shitty fishing day. Like those were just, those were shitty days. Um, and I like, I hated that. Um, so you learn things like that, but, and then the other thing getting in the outdoor industry is just like make as many connections as possible. I mean, it's pretty easy this day and age, uh, especially like with social media and the ability to start a podcast or link up with guys like you through a podcast. Um, like it's, it's an easy way to get to know some people, understand what they do, what they like about it, what they don't like about it. That'll help you figure out what you might like about it, what you might not, um, and then, I mean, another way that's an easy way to, to get into doing outdoorsy thing is which, I mean, a ton of people have been doing this now for, for a couple of years is pick up a camera. I mean, they're like, 
documenting what you've done, uh, especially if you're doing it for the right reasons. And that's being that you want to document it and you want to keep these experiences. But I mean, the amount of people that I've connected with from the position I'm in at OnX with just like folks that carry around a camera and create great content and can provide us, you know, value. It's, it's like, not that I'm saying carrying around a camera and the upfront cost and taking good pictures is easy, but it's, it's a pretty relatively easy foot in the door to, you know, if you really aspire to work at, you know, Yeti or whatever the example may be, um, you know, reaching out and just being like, Hey, this is, this is what I am interested in doing. I'd love to, you know, hear back on what kind of the steps are. I mean, I answer emails not infrequently that are like, Hey, I'd love an internship X, Y, or Z. And it's, kind of the same playbook like hey like thanks for reaching out we're stoked that you love the product like you know if if you have feedback we're open to it um i mean like we're always hiring so it's it's pretty easy for me honestly it's like hey keep an eye on our careers page um but put your name out there you can't you can't get a job if you don't know uh if you don't know anything about it and you certainly have uh, a lot better better odds. It's all about who, you know, not necessarily what you know, or what you know today, because you can certainly figure that out uh, as you go, or if you have the desire to learn, there's so many resources out there to get it done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, communication and just networking. I think that yeah. like when I first got into this, I didn't think it played a big role in the, uh, in the outdoor industry. But uh, as you s slowly find out, you know, if you're doing like cleanups or you're doing, um, you're working your job and you're just trying to make yourself a little bit better at what you do, having that connection with people is a big thing. So, yeah, well, and I mean, just to tie it back to the, the whole guide thing again, it's like you look around the outdoor industry, if that's kind of where you want to end up, like, I mean, most immediators personalities. I mean, you look at like Giannis Putellis, uh, Miles Nolte on their fishing side of things, Remy Warren with cutting the distance podcast, uh, multiple employees at on X, including our founder, like they all started as guides. Like it, it's interesting how that's kind of, uh, you know, a, a crucial stepping stone for a lot of people getting into the outdoor industry and, and how much value it does provide. Yeah. Well, and I think, um, I think too, is you learn a lot about not only yourself um, and your capabilities, because like, I don't think a lot of people realize how much setup it that goes into uh, taking people on a guide trip or, you know, while you're out there, you're, you're in charge of safety, you're, you know, you're rowing, you're a teacher, you're a cook. I mean, there's a there's logistics a planner. Yeah. Like everything. Knowing, knowing like your insect hatches, knowing, you know, where fish are sitting, you know, like when I first got behind the sticks on a drift boat, I was like, Oh, I can, you know, I can keep a straight, I can go down river, you know, but then getting to the point where you're like, Oh, I got to slow my boat down enough. And I got to work in like crooks and, you know, little, little side pole offs and knowing where to go and what to do. That, that took a lot to learn. Anyone can row you down safely, but Okay. Not anyone. Give yourself more credit than that. Not and the anyone. other dude, like what you're doing there, like doing doing boat trout guide trips mm -hmm. has got to be some of the hardest guiding out there, in, in my opinion. Like you have so many differing variables going on, like to yeah, have to row, 
to be able to put your client in the right spot where that individual client is fishing, whether that's six feet off the boat or 60 feet off the boat. And then to like the amount of knots and stuff that I had to retie sitting on a sandbank annoyed me. So I can't imagine like having to drop anchor, you know, or row in place while trying to like tie stuff on. Like there's so much going on yeah. when you're fishing that way as a guide, like those dudes have it together. But to loop it kind of back around into where we were, I think a lot of those, you know, the things that we're learning as a trout guide or, or guiding in general, you're learning all this, like how to plan, how to run a business, how to do all this stuff. This really sets you up for success. And like what you're discussing, uh, I think it really helps you help other people or benefit other people, especially moving forward in your career. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely some worthwhile gigs to be had. Yeah. When you, I don't think you could guide. I mean, I know people that do it, but I think like, I feel like after a few years of it, you're like, you're going to eventually want to move on because it takes a little bit of, from what I found out my first year is it's, it takes work. You're exhausted at the end of the day. The dudes who guide for like, as a career are just, they're, they're a different breed. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So uh, would you say then kind of where you're at in the industry is this kind of like, where you want to be do you want is this kind of like your your dream job is this where you want to end up in the outdoor industry or do you ever want to branch out maybe try other things or yeah no it's it's hard saying honestly you know i uh i've been overly fortunate in the fact that this is kind of my only real gig out of college you know um and it's yeah i don't i don't have intentions of going anywhere anytime soon uh onyx is a great place to work for i'm passionate about you know what the company does in the name of of access and uh you know helping people have more successful outdoor endeavors you know whether that's helping you get down the river and find more fish and find an access point where you can go fishing or you know, helping you figure out that there's a little piece of public behind home that you never knew about, or, you know, help you verify that, uh, oh shit, like this five acres that I always thought was my neighbors ended up being mine. Uh, you know, whatever the case is like those, we get those type of stories and things all the time, uh, where it's like, oh man, Onyx was the X, Y, Z of why I was able to harvest this or do that. Um, and so that's like really cool to be a part of, um, but I think at some point I definitely like to like have my own business of sorts, but until I have, you know, that's a, that million dollar idea that that's just a pipe dream at this point. So, um, and I think that can be said for a lot of people. I mean, that's, that seems like a pretty common, common goal, but I really have said numerous times that at some point down the road, I mean, it would be awesome to own a lodge, I think, in Alaska. Um, the money that it takes to do that these days definitely feels like a pipe dream. Uh, but at the very least, you know, if I was, a, as I said, a 65-year-old guy and could go be a camp hand again and somehow swing that, you know, maybe maybe that's in my future in 35 years. That's awesome. So let's... Uh you know, we kind of learned a little about, about you. We learned about your job and we're going to, I want to kind of touch base on like some of your favorite things about Onyx. Like what, what have you really found? Is there anything useful that you don't mind sharing to people that are listening or, or just getting into the app? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, I honestly use the app a pile for, for both fishing and hunting, yeah. uh, particularly the, the logistics and planning on the fishing side. Like it's so easy if you flip the topo on, you know, when you have your base maps, you have the satellite, the hybrid of the topo topo just makes water pop. And what I do out West here is I'm just looking for, I'm just looking for water that is not near roads. I mean, that's like, I'll spend hours on web map, just like cruising around. I mean, you can do the same thing on Google, like find, you know, remote trout streams near Boise, Idaho, and there'll be a number of things that pop up. And then you go over to Onyx and you search, you know, the, the North Fork of the Payette river or whatever it is that you want to do. And, and then you just get into rabbit holes. At least I do on Onyx It's like, okay, look at this big S curve. I'm going to flip on the satellite imagery and oh, sure as shit, there's a giant deep pool right there. Like you can see those things on the satellite imagery. If you start piecing things together, you drop a waypoint there, you find a good camp spot. And I mean, all of a sudden, you know, in a matter of hours, you're like, okay, like I know exactly how I'm going to fish this river this weekend. You pull out the app, you drive yourself there, saved maps. Um, I mean, if you're hunting or fishing pretty much anywhere in the country, make sure you use the offline features of the app. I mean, you can quickly just go into the app, uh, save a new offline map. And then whether you have service or not, you're going to have the ability to navigate back to your truck, um, you know, have all your data that you marked, whether, you know, marking your camping spot or whatever it may be, it's all going to be there for you. Um, so not only is it a, is a safety backfall, but also it's just going to help you be more successful and more efficient with your time that you have out there. Um, and then, I mean, the, the map layers, I mean, there's a ton of different layers that a lot of people don't realize. I mean, everything from current wildfires in the summer is a layer that we update every single day. Uh, we have a historic wildfires layer. So I use that a lot when figuring out, you know, like elk spots, finding a, a burn that's two to six years old, it's going to have a ton of new growth and, and food, um, or like the roadless area. That's one I use plan efficient trips again, like I find where roads aren't and where water is. And that's a pretty, pretty clear line of like, okay, that's uh, an attractive spot for what I'm looking for. Um, I also use it to map out floats a lot. Uh, I do, I have like a, a shitty little Starcraft raft sitting out in front of me. Um, and I'll just use the line distance tool and find two access points and be like, okay, that one's like, you know, eight miles and change. And then pending the time of year, I can kind of figure out, all right, that's going to be a, a three hour float or whatever it is. Um, I mean, there's so many ways to use that app. Uh, they're, they're endless. Yeah. How about you guys? Do you, what are, what are some ways you guys put the app to use? Um, I personally, I, I love the offline. Um, and when I started using the app, it took me a little bit. And I think if anyone's just getting into the app, my best advice would be to just get on there and just mess around and like, just go through things. That's, that's the way I figured it out. But, uh, I have had Onyx for about three years and I opened my Onyx and I just got like things all over the place, <laughs> you know, all those waypoints and where I've been. And I really like my favorite feature, which is just a little feature, but I really like that. I can select like, I can make the emblem like a fish or like my yeah, trail yeah. or like you wouldn't think that would be a big thing, but I can be like, Oh, 
when I zoom in, I'm like, oh, here's my fishing spot. This is my trail cams. This is this. And it's just, it's really useful. Um, so, but once I, it took me a little bit to figure the offline out and like saving and how, to, how it all worked. But like you were saying, like the offline is really beneficial. And I like that you can still download all the maps and then put the tracker on and go and do like walk out to your, you know, your trail cam or wherever and, and not have to really like worry about a whole lot and you can just be like oh i gotta go back down this path and i'm back to my truck so yeah, yeah. it's almost it almost becomes a crutch in in that way it's like yeah. you're not really looking at landmarks you're just kind of reliant on like all right this is going to get me from a to b back to a which it's going to um but yeah i, I mean i've i've joked with some people that it kind of takes the need for a really uh, a honed sense of woodsmanship to be in the backcountry, you know, it's, yeah. it, it levels the playing field a little bit and at least gives me the confidence to go really anywhere that I, that I want to. Yeah. yeah. You still, yeah. I still got to Like, uh, I, I tried not to, cause you know, phones, you never know with phones yeah. I tried to, in the river or dies yeah. or yeah. I tried to find landmarks and like put them in my head. We could, like, we're not, you know, if people are listening, like, the Onyx is a great app. I also don't like put it to like a hundred percent. You know, you got to know what you're looking at and what trails you're on. Cause you can, it can get fucked up real quick. Yeah. There's no replacement for being observant and, uh, and aware. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And yeah, I use the offline feature a lot, especially back home. I'm, I always had maps downloaded. I actually got to the point where I had to like, start like, okay, which maps can I get rid of? Cause I'm taking up too much space on my phone and like deleting some of those areas off, but yeah, offline feature. Uh, like Keaton was saying, I like to like change my icons to like trail cams. I actually had a system where I ran like eight trail cams last year, all kind of all over the place in central Washington. Oh, and hell yeah. My active cams would be like the trail cam feature and they'd be yellow. And then I'd click on it. And in the notes, I'd have like what lock I had on there, like what combo it was or what key it matched up with. Mm -hmm. And then I have like the last date that I checked that camera. And then on, and then I would be able to like update that every time. So I knew exactly when the last time that one was updated, when I should go back and check it. I'd go to the next one. I know where that one was at because that one was yellow and that one was active. If I pulled that one, I would turn that yellow off and turn it to like uh, a blue or a purple. So I knew it wasn't active anymore. And that's kind of how I ran my trail cam system. Um, Love it. Yeah. And then if I was talking about places like sharing duck blinds with some of the guys, I would mark that as the blind. I'd put a picture of it because, you know, sometimes the blinds are hard to see. So I would just like take a picture of the blind where it was at. And then I could send that to them a little bit of notes on like where to find it, how far in it is and this kind of stuff. And if they had the app, I could share that waypoint to them and they could pop up right on their phone there's a photo there's the waypoint tell them how to get there so i really like that feature a lot pretty much the whole yakima river where i was guiding in washington like every weight access point and every boat launch is like has a waypoint on it has a waypoint yeah. on all the way down the river so if a, a client texts me later on like hey we went and fished this spot do 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 where can i go i can be like oh here's the waypoint boom that's right where i took you you can go back and fish that exact same spot Nice. Well, I'm glad that you guys are using it to that extent. That's, uh, that stokes me up because yeah, the sharing capability, I beat that one to death. Uh, and I'm glad that you're using different colors because 
I get pretty nerdy on my color coordination. I mean, every speed, like this year, all my deer hunting was purple. My elk hunting was black. My fishing is always white. So like, yeah, I have, I have it pretty well organized, but you know, there was a time when all you got was a generic red X. Like that was really like the only waypoint available there for a short while back in like 2015, 16. So I have a bunch of just red X's, but it's, it's starting to come around and get a little bit more colorful. Oh yeah. As Keaton was saying, if you just sit down with it for 30 minutes while you're watching a, you know, a TV or whatever, you can't break anything. Like just start pressing buttons and see what they do. Yeah, that's the best way. And I think there's, uh, there's quite a few layers to it. So and many. So just like knowing like, oh, you, you actually have layers that you can put on your maps. And then you also have like when you're selecting, you know, you're putting a waypoint on, um, one thing that took me a little bit is I would set a waypoint and then I drag my finger and the waypoint would follow it. Oh uh, like, yeah. I'm like, Oh, why is my waypoint all the way over there? My, I swear my trail camera was right over here. And then I'd be like, Oh, I dragged it. And so I had to really make myself like push it and then get into it and save it. So, <laughs> so I wasn't dragging it all over the place, but uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. We, I love my map. I, I recommend it to most of my clients. I'm like, Hey, if you're looking to get into fish, like, I mean, there's a lot of urban fisheries around me and I use them okay. because because you got to, you know, I, I found out places that I could walk in between houses pretty much and get down to the river and not a lot of people know about it. So, yeah, in some sense, and then they can't really get upset with me. So it, uh, it's awesome. We I, I love the app. Like I use it almost like every day looking at stuff. So, yeah. And it's really helpful, especially in states like I don't know what the, the water access laws are in Washington, but I know like Colorado and Utah, like you own the stream bed. So like you got to know where you're at at all times to be, you know, legally fishing. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, a lot of our big, and Kyle can speak on it a little bit. Um, he might know a little more, but I know that like we have some smaller rivers and if you can't float down it or like move down it, technically, I think you're like, they can own, they, like you can't yeah. walk up a Creek in someone's yard. Right. But if you can float a boat down it, then you can fish it and we own the water, but some like some of the rivers i've heard that same thing like they own owners can own like gravel and stuff so just figuring out like oh is, i can technically float down this but you know a lot of factors yeah for sure high water mark in washington too is like if you can access it publicly and you stay below high water mark or you can float it then technically yeah. you're illegal and then nice. that's where onyx comes in because you can find that public access point hop in the river there and then you can walk up river or down river as long as you're below high water or in the water um you're good to go yeah it's same in montana high water mark is a beautiful thing <laughs> yeah it is um one thing up here too onyx has helped me with um uh, if i want to stick around anchorage um i've been able to hop on onyx and i find a lot of that public land or like some of the like management areas like up here in the chugach there's like so many areas around Anchorage where they have to limit like access and where you can and can't hunt. And Onyx has broken a lot of that down to where I can see the areas where I can hunt, what I can hunt there. When I was hunting on the coastal refuge here, like literally two minutes from my house in town for ducks this year on the, on the coastline, like I could find places where there's access points. I could actually see blinds, like, like natural blinds on Onyx and I could find nice. those little puddles and stuff that I could go hunt. Like, during high tide, I can know right where to be. 
um, where you use that. So even in Alaska, where there's a lot of public land, if you're close to areas where there um, is a lot of population or even like special management areas or areas like different units and stuff in Alaska, Onyx is, has really been helpful with that too. Yeah. It just gives you the confidence to like know where you are. Like you're not looking over your shoulder wondering like, am I, am I doing the right thing? Cause I mean, I think most folks out there have good intentions, even if they're caught trespassing or what have you, it's really just, uh, you know, uh, ignorance and really not knowing what's right, what's wrong. And, and on actually just takes the questions out of it. Like you can just go out there and enjoy your time in the field. You don't have to be worried about whether you're legally on something that you can access or can't. It, it just takes a lot of the guesswork out. Yeah, for sure. Real quick. Um, have you been following, is it, I'm pretty sure it's in Wyoming, the guys that the hunters the that, corner crossing corner issue corner crossing. That's, that's crazy. There's, there's a lot going on about it. Um, and we're actually coming out with a a corner crossing report here pretty soon. That kind of details the amount of land that is inaccessible due to corner crossing and some other things. And, um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, that's, it'll be interesting to see what's decided there, but it's not, it's not going to, you know, shake the corner crossing issue. Like I think so many people are hoping it will, you know, if they get convicted of criminal trespass, you know, things aren't going to change a whole lot, but if they don't get convicted, it's not like corner crossing is going to get this widespread legality across numerous States. Um, It's a super complex issue. And frankly, I'm not educated enough to to speak to it. Uh, We have a dedicated access team that, they do a lot of that working with attorneys and stuff and figuring out, um, you know, really just providing the data just because, you know, that's what we specialize in. We're not a law firm, you know, we specialize in maps and we specialize in data. And so where, where we aim to make our difference is, is providing the data and providing the knowledge of like, Hey, this is what the public owns, you know, like, that landlocked piece of public is yours and mine and the next guys. Um, but currently we can't access it. And, and it's our goal to figure out some ways where we can help improve access to those spots, whether it be through easements or small land acquisitions or, you know, partnerships with Rocky mountain elk foundation, who does a ton of stuff with access projects. Um, so it, though an interesting case, like, yeah, it's, uh, I think a lot of people are holding their breath uh, over the the verdict of it a little bit more than they should be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I just want to add, and we're kind of coming to an end here, but uh, I I think I do a lot of uh, conservation work and stuff. And uh, one thing that I really like about King County and the guy that I work with is that we're, we're doing like uh, habitat restoration, but I'm also trying to like push for, like trails for fishermen access and stuff. So nice. I think, I think that just having that being like, Hey, we, we got this, we're re- restoring it, but we also want to have like access for people to get out and enjoy. Um, Cause the more people like it's a, such a double-edged sword, you know, you're like, Oh, I don't want a lot of people knowing about this river, but also you want a lot of people knowing about this river to take care of um, certain places and, you hope that the people that come to visit the river are going to take good care of it as you, you know, but not everyone's perfect and we're still all learning and we're only human. So. 
Yeah. And it helps fund the resource, right? Like I always have that, uh, that in the back of my mind with Onyx, you know, we hear so many times people are like, Oh, you guys ruined my secret spot or, ah, oh, like after everyone started using Onyx, this public spot is overran and it sucks now. And like, you know, I can sympathize with that. I've had that happen in some of my spots where it's like, all right, no doubt there's more and more people using this piece of public that, you know, X years ago, nobody was ever here. Um, but at the end of the day, like that means there's more money going to the Pittman Robertson. There's more money going to each state agency. They're able to do more wildlife restoration and wow. all these things that, that are good for it. But it's definitely a frustration that I think anybody is going to have or has had if, if they, you know, have done it for a long time or continue to do it. You're going to go to spots where somebody shoots something out from underneath you, or that's the way you feel, or you get beat to your parking spot or somebody low holes. Yeah. Um, but you know what, that's, uh, comes with the territory, I guess. For sure. And at, at the end of the day, like just try to be representative of the, the guy that you'd want fishing next to you. Don't go low hole somebody like, is it really worth the feud to park on top of somebody and try to hunt the same duck hole? That's, you know, a yeah. hundred yards wide, like be, be the bigger person, go find a different spot. Or, you know, if you're out of spots, shit, chalk it up to a coffee and a donut or, you know, don't, don't worsen the sport just for the sake of getting out there that one time, you know, be ethical about it. Be, you know, ask somebody like, Hey, like we're both at this parking spot. Do you mind if we hunt together? You know, there's, there's a lot of ways to go about it and uh, honestly make a good, good pal while you're out there and have a future hunting buddy. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. and I, I want to say like, um, you know, I've been on duck ponds and people have rolled in later and oh, I, yeah. I want to just be like, you know the inside you're like oh man this guy's like trying to do this but you know the day and age that we're in you got to kind of give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt and being like hey maybe this guy's new maybe you didn't know like the unwritten rules there's not you know you can't open your regulation book and be like oh i can't hunt the same pond as this guy or something you know <laughs> they, they don't know that they see you know they may be walking in a little later they see us blasting some ducks and they're like hey i'm gonna go throw my decoys out at this end and we can share the ducks, you know, but, um, so I, it, I try to educate people as much as I can. And, uh, you know, you don't have to come off as an asshole every time you go to talk to someone, you know, fishing in a, a closed Creek or fishing, you know, I reached out to someone the other day and I was like, Hey, do you guys know this is closed? And they're like, Oh dude, we just came in from Montana and we, we just found this water and we went at it. And it's like, yeah, we're a little different here. We can't, we can't do that here. You know? The like, old non-residents played in the fifth. Yep, yep. So just you, you be a good sportsman, share, share, let people know. So no doubt about it. For sure. Well, Jared, we've taken a lot of your time here. We really enjoyed the conversation we've had. We uh we don't want to take up too much more of your day. Um, we've got a rapid fire round of questions here at the end that we want to throw at you. Um nice. before we do that. Uh, we always like to ask if there's anything that we haven't asked you yet that you think that we should know about you, um, whether that be your hunting, your fishing background, working at Onyx, or anything you feel like you want to share with our audience. No, I think we've pretty well covered it. I'd say, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably interested in, in being a guide. You might be a young guide. You might be interested in the outdoor industry. And 
I mean, my advice would just be, you know, take the leap, go for it. Like when I was sending emails to go be a, a camp hand guide, whatever you want to call me in Alaska, it was just like, you just got to start somewhere. Even if you feel like an idiot where you're starting, um, yeah. you'll start to put the pieces together and it'll fall into place and uh, you, you won't regret it. It'll be good experience and you'll certainly make some good memories. Absolutely. Sounds good. Well, Keaton, do you want to start us off into uh, the rapid fire questions? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, rapid fi- uh, fire questions for you. Um, let's do um, your favorite fish and your favorite thing to hunt. Favorite fish would be a bull trout. Um, I love the places they live is really why. I mean, they just need that clean, cold water um, to thrive. And uh, fortunately, the back country of, uh, of Idaho, British Columbia and the Western U.S. provides. Mm-hmm. And then my favorite thing to hunt, as I said, like if I only could hunt one thing for the rest of ever, it'd probably be whitetails uh, for, for nostalgia reasons. But my favorite hunt of all time was no doubt that doll sheep hunt. I mean, there's nothing, nothing quite like what Alaska has to offer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what is a dream destination for you to both fish and a dream destination to hunt? Uh, so there's the good news is a river in Alaska that I really like to fish. Um, also Kamchatka, Russia, uh, that one's, I don't know if that one will ever happen, but that would be sweet. Those would probably be my, my two fishy spots. Uh, I'll throw a third in there being the Seychelles to go catch a giant Trevally. Uh, but boy, I better make some more money than Onyx is paying me to make that happen. Uh, and then a dream hunt, uh, really Alaska. I, I mean, my sister, brother-in-law and dad and I are kind of planning an Alaskan moose hunt right now. Um, but I really have, have strong intentions to, to hunt pretty much everything I can in Alaska and really a doll sheep is still, we're already planning a a return redemption adventure in like 2024 or five. Um, so that's, that's my next big one. It is nice having a, uh, next of kin living. The next of kin is just like unbelievable. My sister is a gift from God. (laughs) That's awesome for your for your next one you're out fishing you're out hunting what is your go-to snack and drink that you're gonna have with you okay go-to snack is oh that's a tough one so what i learned on the sheep hunt is like taste quality over calories like i had so many bags of nuts and shit on that sheep hunt that like didn't get eaten i like left them for the damn little squirrels that didn't, that didn't exist up there. Um, like goldfish, goldfish and like chocolate, like whether it's a Snickers bar or, you know, sometimes I get fancy and you go to the grocery store and they have those like $3 chocolate bars with like pretzels in them. Like that's, that's a snack, whether I'm like a two hour river fish or like a backpack hunt, those two things are pretty much always with me. And then, um, I mean, if I'm fishing, I'm going to have a beer with me, right? Like so, some type of, some type of hazy IPA typically. Um, or if I'm feeling cheap, like some bush light, uh, 
but yeah, that's, that's a must fish in if hunting, I definitely leave the beer at home and I substitute it for some type of, uh, you know, something with a little boost, a little caffeine, you know, not necessarily a coffee, but like a, like a noon tablet or like some amino, amino acids. Yeah. Yep. That's the go-to. Yeah. So you're driving, you got that two hour drive is your favorite fishing spot. What kind of music are you bumping or you listen to a podcast or, or radio or whatever? Ooh, so I definitely listen to some podcasts. Uh, my top podcasts are definitely going to be, you know, either fishing or hunting based podcasts. Um, I really, the meat eater guys like Clay Newcomb and the bear greased podcast is a really interesting one. It's more of like a storytelling format. Um, so that's a podcast I really like cryptocurrency. I'm really trying to, you know, make that money so I can go to the Seychelles. Uh, so I listened to a fair number of crypto podcasts. Nice. Um, got to get on that train here soon, boys. People are going to be coming on. Now's the time to invest. Um, and then if I'm listening to music, it's going to be juice world. Nice. Nice. Um, you're headed out the door to do an outdoorsy thing. And you, let's just say you're in a full out sprint through your house and you have to grab one thing out the door. What are you grabbing? Oof. Uh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Do I, am I hunting or fishing or I'm just like going into the woods and this is like a survival item. Like, a, let's not, let's not get too deep. Let's just say, uh, let's do fishing. All right. Let's keep it basic. What's the first thing you're grabbing out the door? Bear spray. Bear spray. Yeah. 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 That's a good one. Yeah, I'm not going to forget. I mean, Western Montana, dude, I don't, again, like I've never had real problems with brown bears other than that one freak incident, but something about, uh, about grizzlies in the lower 48, uh, they're, they're, they're seemingly just a little scarier for me. Yeah. A little more aggressive. Yeah. Yet I really like to fish in the places that they live. So not a lot of people <laughs> want to go there. <laughs> That's right. There's yeah. my favorite particular spot. I typically see more, more grizz tracks than human tracks. Nice. nice. So what is something that you wish you knew when you started hunting, fishing, working in the outdoor industry? Being more patient. Um, I still struggle with patience, but it's just like, I, I can remember when I moved to Montana you know, after I'd done, you know, multiple summers of fishing in Alaska. And I was like, oh man, I'm just going to go out there and rope trout. Dude, I got my ass kicked for like, for like a month and a half. Like it was like, I cannot catch a fish. Um, but it just takes time, especially when you're fishing dynamic pieces of water, like rivers change by the day, you know, if they're dropping water, if they're adding water, what, what bugs are hatching. And, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of a snob. I hate nymph fishing probably because I suck at it. Um, but I hate it. And so like, if there's not dries to be thrown, I'm just hucking a streamer. And maybe that's, I mean, that's definitely part of my problem. Um, but just have the patience to figure it out. Like, like don't get frustrated. Don't get flustered. I mean, as Keaton was talking about, like with his Turkey stories, like there, everything, in hunting and fishing is going to be frustrating when you're starting out, you're not going to be successful. You're going to be eating dirt, but like, that's the beauty of it. And then like, when you finally do figure it out and it finally clicks, it's, it's like one of the best feelings of overcoming 
these trials and tribulations and all these hours spent trying to, you know, accomplish whatever it was, whether that's, you know, catching your first brown trout or shooting your first turkey. Um, it's just an incredibly rewarding endeavor. Yeah. Heck yeah. You learn from your failures. Oh, and if you don't fail, like you're, I don't know what you're doing. You're either really good or you're not doing it very much. <laughs> Absolutely. And try uh, to fail fast. Like try not to try not to repeat the same mistakes over and over. Like it, as stupid as it seems like analyze like what you did that day. Like, okay, you didn't see a deer pull up the map and look where you hunted that day. Like, look what you walked through. That might be why you didn't see any deer. If it was all just monotonous ponderosa pine trees, no shit. You didn't see any deer, like find some <laughs> habitat diversity in a Creek bottom and walk through that instead next time. Or, you know, like actually go home and, and think about like, okay, why was today good? Or why did today suck? Sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, you, we had like one more, but you kind of covered it on that. So um, we like to end uh, our podcast with either your favorite outdoor moment, your favorite guide story. Um, it does. It can be funny. It can be, you know, serious. It can be cool. Uh, anything that you really think that stands out to you. Ooh. Yeah, on it. Well, I'm gonna bring it back to. Uh, I mean, my best guide story was definitely scooping human feces with a coffee can. Uh, I mean, like that. That for whatever reason just rings quintessential Alaska guiding. If you haven't read the book um, Alaska Chronicles by Miles Nolte, and you are interested in being a guide or you are a guide, absolute must read. It's an amazing book. Um, but I would say my, my best, my most memorable moment was on my sheep hunt, uh, with my sister and brother-in-law. And, uh, like we put this gnarly stock on this band of Rams on our last full day of hunting. And, uh, like we crested the hill and I don't know where the other eight Rams went, but we like popped up on this one Ram and to be a legal Ram, it has to be eight years old or full curl. And so like, you can, there's a variety of ways to tell legality. Frankly, they're all really damn hard. Um, but we popped up at about 200 yards on this Ram uh, and he was seven years old. And so it was just like, it was kind of like the sinking moment of the trip. Like this was our shot to kill a Ram and this Ram is one year too young. Uh, but like, I'll never forget sitting on that knob, just like watching that Ram feed for a half hour, just because of the amount of effort, both like in logistics and planning and getting there to like climbing those damn mountains and finding Rams. Uh, and like, again, I didn't even pull the trigger, didn't even pull the gun up. Um, but like, it was so rewarding to be like, holy shit, like I'm within rifle range of, of a freaking doll sheet. Yeah. That's rad. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, awesome. We uh, just want to, you know, from the young guides podcast to you, thank you for taking some time out of your day and hopping on with a couple, you know, we're, we're, once they were like nobody's, but we're, you know, not that big in the industry yet. And uh, kind of like what we highlighted here is you just kind of got to get into it and get after it. And if you got a dream, chase it. Um, so we hopped on here. Me and Kyle started out talking to each other and now we're getting like 
awesome people like you on our podcast. Um, so we want to thank you. And then um, anyone who takes time and listens to this podcast, we want to really uh, thank them for taking, you know, the hour to two hours to listen in and learn about someone and learn about mistakes and victories and, um, you know, everything that we covered through these podcasts. Um, if you're interested in checking out uh, more about Jared, there'll be a little section on our uh, website. You can go there and uh, we have a picture and it kind of gives us a little background. You can learn about him and learn about Onyx a little more there. Um, so once again, we appreciate you listening and taking the time out of your day. Kyle, you got anything to add? Uh, no, I think this has been a great great podcast here with jared jared shared some really great stories and the fishing the hunting side and being in the industry so yeah jared we, we appreciate you taking your time today to come on Absolutely. yeah dudes i uh i appreciate the the pillow fluffing compliments and uh you guys having me on i'm i'm an i'm a nobody as well unfortunately uh for for well i guess fortunately for me is i get to hunt more than most folks do so i uh appreciate you guys uh seeking some insight here and frankly you can just go put the hunt app to use and you'll probably find more more critters or more fish that you're after if you do yeah absolutely yeah. well this was another episode of the young guides podcast and once again i'm keaton and this is i'm kyle I'll catch you on the next one awesome